Hi, and welcome to episode 22 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Suzanne Archer. Suzanne has worked across painting, drawing, sculpture, and installation for over 45 years. She came to Australia in 1965 and when she had a first solo show in 1969 she took the Australian art world by storm and since then she has won lots of art prizes including the Wynn Prize for Landscape Painting and the Dobell and Kadumba Prizes for Drawing. She's had over 30 solo shows and many more group shows and Macquarie University Art Gallery held a major survey of her work last year, which was then followed by another survey exhibition with Nicholas Thompson Gallery in Melbourne. All the works we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. I started by asking Suzanne where she was born and what memories she had of art as a child. I was actually born in Guildford, Surrey, England, and um, I grew up in a probably like a, I don't know how you'd say it, it was, it was actually a very um, good childhood. I, my, I have fond memories of childhood. Um, in terms of art, I wasn't really exposed to very much art at all, apart from what I was taught at school. Um, I do remember one year, however, um, Father Christmas, Santa Claus, put in his stocking for me um, Gumbrick's History of Art, which apparently one of my uncles had purchased for me and had given to my um, parents, and they put it in the stocking for me. And I remember very being very excited by having that huge, um, what was a huge book to me then. Also, my parents knew that I was interested in art. It was probably one of the few things that I was particularly good at ah, at school. So what were you doing that you, that they noticed? Oh, I used to spend quite a bit of time just sort of drawing and doing a bit of painting and then um, homework um, if we had to do anything for art. Obviously, I really enjoyed doing that. And um, so they bought me an easel and I remember having a really good Reeves watercolour box bought for me for a Christmas present. Um, at 15, I trotted along to Sutton and Cheam School of Art. When I, um, when I got into second year at the art school, unfortunately, they changed the whole art school curriculum. What was um, open to me to do was only to do like a diploma. I think it was called the Surrey Diploma or something. Or Surrey, I don't know. It was a, anyway, it was a very menial qualification. Um, one of the first projects we had to do was to design a chair in cardboard to be made out of fiberglass. And I thought, what am I doing? I don't uh. want to be here. So I just left art school. So I was, I left art school when I must have been about 17. But I, at the time, I had a, a boyfriend who was at art school and he would tell me what they were doing and I would, so I kept informed, you know, I was quite well informed of what he was doing yeah. and I, I knew I wanted to do it so I just did it at home and he encouraged me mm. and then that boy I ended up marrying and coming to Australia with I had a child with him married him had a child came to Australia when you first arrived here how did you find it what did you what were your first um, impressions I just I thought it was fantastic because we had always talked about living in a little humpy you know what a humpy is? Not it's like really. a well, it's like a little rundown little little dwelling, you know, yeah, very yeah, Australian. Yeah. And yeah, I love yeah, the word yeah. humpy. I thought it sort of <laughs> sounded fantastic. <laughs> and when we came out here, um, we stayed with his parents for a couple of weeks in 
um, just out the city, and then um, moved down to the south coast where he had a friend who helped us find a flat down there, and we had the flat for a couple of weeks, and then we found a little humpy halfway up the mountain in in um, Austinmere. Oh. Uh, sorry, in Thoreau, in Thoreau. Right. And, um, and in 1967, I thought I should go round the galleries with my slides. Round in Sydney. In Sydney. So oh. I remember I went to... Um, I went to Waters, they were booked out, and, well, might be a nice way of saying no, but they said they were booked <laughs> out. And I went to um, Central Street Gallery, which was like a cooperative gallery, and they said they were interested, but they'd have to talk to the rest of the, the group. And what sort of work was it? It was um, collage, heavily collaged. It was um, I was using newspaper posters that came, you know those newspaper posters they sometimes put up outside in a sort of a wire mesh yeah. board? Those posters the news agents would throw out, and um, I started to collect those, and I used them for collage. And mm-hmm. um, so they they form like another. Those letters that I'd cut out would form another kind of mark, a bit like a brush mark, but it interrupted the brush marks. And the collaging was very random, and I would then put more paint down, more collage, more paint. And mm-hmm. they were used. I was working initially with incredibly cheap materials when I first arrived here. I was using, um, I think it was show card ink, which was something like people who are doing windows and things like that would use, or posters. Mm -hmm. And it was something like seven and six a jam jar full and um, white household paint. So, uh, And then my collage using PVA. But I'd scrounge bits of board from wherever I could find them, laneways where they were thrown out, and we'd patchwork them together. And, um, yeah, so in 1967, I went round the galleries. And um, Clune Galleries, that was then managed by Rex Irwin, who was a very young man then, actually um, got very excited by my slides because they reminded him of Ian Fairweather's work. So he said, I'm going to go and show the owner, who was then Frank MacDonald, and he rushed upstairs and showed him, and he said, "Um, we can take a couple of works into stock. So oh. that was so exciting oh, for me. Yeah. So well, you were only what twenty two or something, were you? Or? Uh, yeah, about. Um, well, that was um, nineteen sixty. So yeah, twenty two. So twenty two. Yeah, I was twenty two. So I took, um, eventually took some works up on the roof of our little car in pouring rain. <laughs> they were covered in plastic. <laughs> But when we took them off the roof, as we tilted them off the roof, all this water poured off. And when we actually took the the cover, the plastic um, covers off them to take them into the gallery, there was no image because it was PVA. All the PVA had risen to the surface and there was just this milky colour over the works. So um, Roy, who I was with, um, said, uh, don't panic. It will dry out. It will be fine. And I'm taking these works into the gallery that are barely visible. Anyway, he said, well, go and have lunch and we'll go back. And anyway, we did that. We went back and there was the um, there were the images dried out perfectly. Oh. So three weeks later, I got a, um, a telegram um, inviting me to be in a two-person show with Julia Schur at Clune Galleries. So I really... This was just amazing. Oh, must have been. So, so exciting, yeah. So I had that show. That was the two-person show. 
And um, and then you had a solo show. And then a two of years, years later, later, I had my first solo show at Clune Galleries. Yeah. And um, and that was quite a bit of a hit, wasn't it? Well, it was a hit, and I think that was probably partial. Well, I I say it was partially the some interest might have been because I was a woman, ironically, although I don't know. Oh, Rex Rex at my opening at um, Macquarie, who opened the show at Macquarie, said that I got the show on the basis of my work and I like to think it was the work, but certainly the photographs for the advertising for the show um, in the newspapers certainly showed that I was a young woman, <laughs> which was quite funny. Um, well, they were quite glamorous. They were very glam, and I remember one of them being told I had... It was a woman photographer, and she said to me, OK, now sit on that chair now, pull your skirt up a little bit, cross your legs. <laughs> but um, so there was... I, I was on the Today Show, the Tonight Show, I was in the papers, and I had a lot of attention. I did sell reasonably well um I, I suppose people would ask me what they're about and I probably would say um in the early days that they were they related to the landscape but it wasn't a recognizable landscape but it was the only way I could really describe um I really loved the landscape I loved the ocean I love walking down to the beach mm. um well you so actually think, well, actually this is probably a good moment to talk about it because you live now, I mean, you lived in Sydney for a number of years, but then yes, yeah. you moved to um, this lovely bushland setting, which is on the outskirts of Sydney, mm. um, called Wedderburn, which is absolutely gorgeous uh, environment. And we've just been through your house, which you and your husband David Fairbairn have have built by hand, which by is hand. <laughs> which is incredible. Yeah. Um, so, a few years after you moved here. You um, you won the win prize. Well, yeah. we were over collecting stone from those friends of ours, Ben and Judy's place. We were collecting uh, stone for the house from them, and we were having a lunch over there as well with some other friends. Yeah, and um, of course we're sitting down to have pre-lunch drinks, and the phone rings, and Judy comes out and says, "It's for you, Sue." And I took the phone. And um, it was the art, it was now was it Mina or the art gallery? It was either my daughter or the art gallery saying yeah. that I had won the win and could I contact them? So I rang them and they uh, said, yeah, the opening's at six o'clock, you know, this evening. And oh, so, <laughs> so I had to say, can't stay for lunch. Oh, well, by then, yeah, we might have had lunch and then I had to leave. I can't remember oh. how it worked out. But there's a great shot of me standing by the truck with all the stone on it going, Ray. Oh, <laughs> so so um, that was, I'd been in for the win a lot of times and I'd go to the opening and I'd be told, you were really close. Uh, you almost did it this year. Yeah, well, um, this this know. painting is, is commonly known as Waratahs. Yeah. And yeah. Is that, was that inspired by Waratahs? Absolutely. We had a bushfire in, in Wedderburn and um, it was just the most amazing experience because what had been lush bush, although it was dry, obviously, at the time, was just rendered um, just smoking trees mm. and grey ash and everything. It was the incredible uh, visual. Mm. Um, and I remember there's shots of me putting out some little fires um, 
near the fire trail and I think I've got a purple dress on and the the sky is this intense bushfire colour. We always know if there's bushfire around because the sky goes this amazing colour. Like an orange. Yeah, it's it's like a really strange, I can't describe it as any other colour. It is an orange, but it's definite bushfire because mm. it's coming through smoke. And what and so how did the the Waratah painting Oh sorry <laughs> I get very easily distracted. Um basically the next you can walk down I'll, I haven't shown you but just out out the um, front of this building is the fire trail and the other across the other side the fire trail it starts to go down the gorge and it's quite a deep gorge and um, at the bottom of the gorge there's actually a water hole when it rains it unfortunately got dammed further upstream since we've been here and we've we've lost that incredible flow of water we used to get Mm. but when it rains heavily it fills up with water still down there but we were going for a walk down there and we suddenly saw these flashes of red here and there, as we walked down, that we never see normally, and um, we climbed, clambered over and got to one of them, and it was a waratah. And it was the first time I'd ever seen waratahs growing in our gorge. Yeah. And so I was so excited. So I made the painting, Waratahs, and, it, and you'll see it has these sort of little, little um, icons, I suppose, that suggest waratahs. Yeah. And it came about from that that experience. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so to what extent would that em- that actual environment reflect that be reflected in that painting or is it just really Oh, well I think it's just that general sort of um excitement and joie de vivre yeah. for the bush, but also there are red there are red indicators that are the the waratahs scattered through the painting. Yeah. So it was it was just really a very joyous sort of aftermath to the bushfire oh, really. Did. And it also yeah. it had quite a lot of colour in it too. So Yes, yeah, quite a colourful, colourful Which, painting. Yeah. And one of the like it would be one of the early um large square paintings that I've that I have constantly done since. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking I might need to vary my <laughs> proportion a little bit nowadays. <laughs> but um it's uh, I've worked on that two forty two by two forty two in like it's basically two panels, two forty by one twenty, pushed together because for ease of moving around the studio and for um, carrying, you know, because two forty by two forty is a bit unmanageable for couriers and everything. Oh, so okay. I've generally, or carrying on our own truck, I've, I've worked, stayed working with that size. Right. So can we jump forward now to more recent times? Mm-hmm. Uh, in about, I think it was September last year, the, uh, Macquarie University. Art Gallery uh, held a major survey of your work called The Alchemy of the Studio. Did you have much of an input into what was um, included? Well, um, Sue Garside actually curated the show and wrote the essay for the catalogue. Um, I had some input, but really, one side given Sue, or Sue had been able to look at the images, she actually chose the works, which were predominantly from the 90s. Mm. Um, uh, really, they were a, a very consistent body of work and they really were landscape oriented. Mm. And I'll tell you, it was thrilling for me to see the work, um, to see it hung in a gallery. Well, I'd never seen it all together in that in that way. So it mm. was um, it was really refreshing to see it again. And um, I, I stopped working with the landscape because I got to a point where I felt that I I had was really repeating myself because the work was quite abstract. Um the i just i just thought i i couldn't keep going i just was losing interest yeah. but um 
Well, actually, uh, what I was interested in with um, is looking at you know the the huge amount of work that you've done over the years is in the early two thousands when you uh, started introducing um, you know animal heads and carcasses into into your works. How did that start? Well, that was because I was teaching a third year class at National Art School where I taught for many, many years. Um, and a student bounced in one day and said, um, oh, Sue, guess what my flatmate's doing today? And I said, no, what's she doing? And she said, oh, she's doing horse dissection. She's a vet <laughs> science student. And I went, oh, how can I go and draw that? How can I get in there to draw? And that must have been my latent, you know, sort of thing about being interested in vet science as a kid. So um, she said, oh, I have no idea. And I said, well, can you ask her? And a couple of the other students said, started yelling out, hey, if you go, we want to come too. (laughs) So um, anyway, she came the following week and she bought the um, contact for the professor out at um, Sydney Uni. So I, I arranged to meet this group of my students there. I think there were about eight of them came along and some of them were getting cold feet as they stood outside (laughs) Vet Science and said, look, if we can't handle it, we'll go back to college. You stay with the other students and we'll go back and get on with our work. Anyway, of course, we got in there. They'd got their sketchbooks, set ourselves up on tables as much out of the other students, the Vet Science students' way as possible, and started drawing. And it was a two-hour lab session and there were a number of specimens Um, with students working around them and it was incredibly visual and the students were all the sort of same sort of age as the students that were with me and they were all buzzing along and the students started drawing and before they knew it the lab session was over nobody left none of the students went back to college to draw they all stayed with me and um so anyway that's that first time we went and on the way out I said to uh, the professor there that look I would love to come back and do a body of work on this. I'm really interested. And he said, Mm. look, you know the lab times, feel free. And for the next three years, I dropped in and out of every now and again, I'd go and draw there and... And what would you draw? Would you draw like the head or... Well, to start with, I drew the students around the horses. And in fact, when I first went, I took all my, being the lecturer, I took all my collage bits and pieces and I collaged my little bits of collage and made little arty works and realised they were useless as reference. So I realised that when I got back, they were nice little things, but Mm. they weren't any good as reference. And I realised what I really wanted to do was to actually gather information that I would eventually be able to make paintings or drawings or whatever from. Mm. So I got much more serious and I started doing quite observational drawings, which is quite unusual for me. Um, I hadn't done that for years, Mm. apart from the occasional little drawing of a child or something like that. Mm. And so I started to really look. And as what I started off with was the the horse, and then gradually as it was um, dissected, I would have different sections of the horse. Um, Your work where you won the Nobel Prize called uh, Derangement, Mm. that you've got... uh, a horse's head in that one. Isn't yeah, it? that isn't actually a horse's head. That is actually a chunk of timber I found in the bush <laughs> that looked like a horse's head. And I actually added a leather tongue and some other parts to it. Oh, so, so you that made it a looks, sculpture first. I made a sculpture of it from a piece of timber that looked like a horse's head and then hung it up in the studio. And that became the drawing oh. that's actually in the Well, that's what amazes me about your work is that it crosses over sculpture and drawing and painting and installation um, 
with do, do you find that sculpture is an important part of, of your practice? Oh, sculpture is a hugely important part of my practice. I mean, one of the earliest photos I've got of myself is me uh, making a little clay figure of a, a cricketer at rest. And, and then I did go on and do a couple of quite large installations, which are quite hilarious. And what were they? I did one called the Brighton Beauty Queens, which was three three torsos of women, including the head, and then they had, uh, in clay, and then they had stuffed padded arms and they sat on hewn tree trunks from the bush and then a third one reclined on a beach towel and they were in a whole environment, it was all sand and it had backdrops of the ocean. That sounds great. (laughs) The woman on the ground was reading a magazine called The Beauty Makeover and it was a photograph of her face superimposed in the article. It was all bizarre, (laughs) it was totally bizarre, but it was a a comment on... um, you know, uh, how women were seen, you know, mm. so it was... Um, and is this the 80s? This was in the 80s, yeah. 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 And you've l- used a lot of other materials too, haven't you, paper mache and... A lot of paper mache, that's probably... Yeah, I've done that over the years, but um, most um, recently it was in around 212, 213 mm. when I was doing that whole body of work about myself... Mm. Um, which was more to do with the internalised self um, than, How did that than start? photographic. How did that start? Um, it's a good question. I'd have to actually look back through my sketchbook. Oh, it came about mainly because one day I came into the studio and there was a, a an embroidered pillowcase I'd obviously thrown out and it was lying on a chair in the studio. And I, I sort of kept looking at this thing out the corner of my eye and one day I just thought, I'm going to turn that into a mask. I'm going to just cut some slits for the eyes and the nose and the mouth. And I put it on my head and I stood in front of, <laughs> stood in front of a mirror in my studio and I thought, oh, I quite like this. This is a bit odd and spooky. I, I like the look of this. So I got my camera and I had to angle it down really low so the camera wasn't in the photograph and took a shot of me in the mirror. Then I thought, oh, what else could I do? And I had a backpack kicking around, so I turned that into another form of mask and I stuck that on my head and took a photograph in the mirror. Then I bandaged my whole head up with just a slit for one eye so I could see how to use the camera. And um, so, so it went on. Well, your drawing was recognised um, in 2010 twice with the Dobell Drawing Prize and the Kadumba Drawing Prize. Mm. So clearly your your drawing is, is you know... Um, oh, it's, it's, as far as I'm concerned, drawing is, you have to be able to draw. I mean, I taught drawing and painting when I was at, at NAS, or, well, teaching anywhere, anywhere I taught. I taught at um, Sydney College and at uh, what was City Art Institute when it was Alexander Mackey as well. Mm-hmm. So I've taught across uh, you know several different schools, and I've always said it's integral to your practice. It doesn't matter what art practice you have if you can draw, it's really going to help you see. Mm. I mean, that's really a lot of what it's about. You know, what, having what? a facility is one thing, but really looking and analysing yeah. is really important. What what sort of exercises would you recommend students? Um, sort of do to, to improve their drawing? Oh, I, I think keeping a sketchbook's incredibly important and to really enjoy it, not see it as a chore. Um, but uh, I, I just, I suppose what, what I teach now when I teach, I work a lot from either from skeletons and skulls and the animal um, pieces that I have in my collection. I take them with me um, or I use pieces from the bush land environment. So it's dried plants and dried roots and interesting bits and pieces I've collected Mm. from that. Um, But if a student is going to want to practice, 
seriously, sketchbooks are imperative. I mean, and also, it's like a journal, a visual journal. Because if I want to find out what I was doing in a certain year or how I worked on that painting, I go back to the sketchbook from that period because it'll have drawings, mm. notes, photographs. Oh, so I, you always start off with drawings before you start. Oh, there's work. A, well, um, I have a rough idea, and I like sometimes now I'm so experienced, like from time, that I'll start a painting, but that at the end of that day I'll photograph that painting and it goes into the sketchbook, and at the end of the following day. It goes in the ah. photo goes in the sketchbook, so you can see as I've been doing on Instagram yeah. the work in progress. That's all reflected in my sketchbooks over the years. Eventually, once I discovered that, I've kept doing that for many years, oh, and so right. that's it. that's fascinating. Actually, can I at this point can I thank you on behalf of everyone on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> for your Instagram page? Because for those of you who haven't seen it, go and have a look. Um, because you just are so open with your process, which is just fantastic for other artists to see. Uh, it's very inspiring. And I noticed on your Instagram page uh, with your initial stage that you start with like a wash on your... your I work your with acrylic paints. initially. Right. Yeah. Watered down acrylic. Um, and, and not necessarily. It could be... I mean, I don't want it to be thick and gluggy, but I, I want it to flow so mm. I can actually use my whole body. People often say, I'm going to just divert here, but people often ask me why I have to work. Why do you have to work so big? So this is usually people who don't understand about art. Um, and I say, because I like to use my body, my whole body. It's to do with energy. I can't work with energy just coming out of my hands in a small sheet of paper. I have to physically use it and and stretch my body. And mm. so that to me is really crucial and that's why I work fundamentally why I work large now if I'm going to start a painting and I'm mapping it out and I'm not really terribly clear about what I'm doing I'll start with quite watery acrylic paint because I know I can have it very very thin and use a brush and go the whole length of the paint of the canvas Um, and then I can um, do you use a large brush at that point um, yeah, I'm probably using something, what's that, uh, one inch, ten, I don't know what it is, in, I only know yeah. in inches, oh, sorry. Yeah. It's, Holding your fingers apart yeah, about two inches. But, that's about, <laughs> oh well, it's probably around an inch, but I'm, I'm yeah, quite a broad brush, and I use, um, because I'm very, very hard on my brushes, I don't use expensive brushes, and I think this is another thing that people often do, they think an expensive brush is going to make them a good painter. Yeah. <laughs> I beg to differ. I remember thinking that. Um, <laughs> I still think that. I hope I mean, I mind you, shop. I wouldn't say no to a, an expensive brush, but um, I would worry worry myself to death about an expensive brush and yeah. it would stop me using it so I don't have them. <laughs> I buy the Chinese brush, you know, the Chinese, um, they've got a, a timber handle and they're quite quite long. It's quite a long handle. And I work with those and I scrub around with them and eventually they just die on me and I get I get another one, you know, yeah. because they're cheap. And um, I have lots of, lots of brushes. I'm very tough on them. I don't look after them properly. They stand in pots of turps for days on end. And <laughs> the thing is, when you've got a studio, it's time to go in because it's time for dinner. 
And all you do is I throw plastic over the top of everything and I go in. And the following day, it's all there. I take the plastic off and I carry on as usual. I can't you mean the plastic on your palate or something? Over, my pa- over the top of all my cans. If, oh, if they're cans, um, yeah. quite got a lot of, a lot of mixed-up oil paint in them, I might push a bit of plastic down top, hard on top of the cans. And if I've got empty um, paint cans, I might, with the lid, you know, that had the paint in, then I might use them and put the lids back on. But I hate having to undo cans and... I like it all ready to go. So when I come in in the morning, okay, it's run out of paint that colour. I just squeeze a whole load more, get a whole load out of another, you know, out of the yeah. paint cans, and off I go. Um, I don't like stopping, mm. but sometimes I'm too tired. I can't keep going, so I've got to stop. And the following morning, I want to come in really energised and just get into the well, business of doing it. You know. Yeah, and because you, your work does involve such a, a layering process, you've mm. got you know mm. quite a few layers. Do you, when you apply something, like say, for example, I saw an Instagram photo a while back where you just introduced purple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> people, people comment, love the colour, by the end of the following day it's a completely different colour. Exactly. Yeah. The next yeah. day it was almost obliterated but yeah. you could see it coming through. Yeah, well, that's the important thing. It's the layering. And yeah. also with the layering, see, I'm working now using... Um, Acrylic to start, medium number one and medium number two. So medium one, next layer, I mean next 20, 30 layers, and then medium number two when I want it to, um, you know, to use the paint a bit more thicker. Mm. And um, because, you know, it's going to take longer to dry. Um, and then, of course, glazing. Well, I either use medium number two or number three, but I don't always glaze. I, like I might use some thinner stuff when it's completely dry, mm. but you've got to watch, you know that the paint is completely dry. Um, I've why, also, why do you prefer to use medium? Well, I think it was revisiting the old paintings from 94. Um, and obviously I did it a lot later than that, but I haven't seen them recently. Um, it has been uh, a desire to just get the paint more mobile. It had got to a point where it was more static. And although I like some of those paintings too, I just thought, oh, it could be fun to try using the paint in the way I was using it in the 90s. Mm. Um, with it, So it's a lot more loose and sploshy, and, and I like to flick paint around and splash it about anyway. So I thought, <laughs> well, I'll give that a go. But I'm still slowly, slowly it creeps towards becoming thicker paint. I can't leave it. I just, there's something, it must have been a different medium, completely different way of working. I mean, I could have been using a lot of odorless solvent or mixed in with some medium. I, I don't know. I obviously hadn't kept those those notes, unfortunately. But I've also worked a lot with encaustic. You'll find that some of the paintings are true encaustic, where it's they're burnt in. and which is some wax, of, isn't it? Which is the wax, and you work with them with it with a hot wax medium. So it has, it has um, other things in it, like stand oil, and damar varnish. There's a there's a recipe for it, and um, formulas for painters is a great little book, little um, oh, okay. material methods and materials book that you can get hold of. Bit hard to get sometimes. Um, you know, it depends whether you oh, can okay. hump one out. But it's a really good so what's little it book. Called? Formulas for painters. Okay. So what are you? What sort of work are you working on at the moment? Well, I'm actually, having seen those 1994 paintings, which were, were about the landscape and they were about the Wedderburn landscape, I've, I, I actually thought, well, maybe now I've finished the series, pretty much finished the series on China that I'd been working on. And so 
this is probably a good time to revisit the landscape. And I'd collect, I have so much stuff I've collected from the landscape, so I thought, well, I'll probably just start getting some of that stuff out and pin it on the wall and, and start walking a lot more around in the bush around home. And also we have a fantastic um, uh, Darawal uh, National Park is five minutes in the car from us, and mm. so we go up there and walk yeah. Um, sometimes so I've also got you know all of that bushland experience coming at me too so I thought well now I'll, I'll just revisit it and see how I feel about it and see what I might do with it now and it's it's interesting because I've loved going back to it but it's been quite a struggle finding how I want to interpret it and so um, the first few paintings I did were still a hangover from before where the paint quality was quite controlled and drawn almost mm. and coloured in almost and then gradually it's starting to get to be looser and so I'm finding my way to deal with the bush it's very much about the subject I find that the subject really often affects the way I interpret it through the paint so because the bush is organic and mm. and um speckles of light and speckles of bits of um, organic material are showing through that's what I'm picking up on some of that mark making in the paintings mm. but I'm also wanting to keep it as spontaneous as I can even though I'm reworking and moving stuff around mm. um, I want it to be alive that's what the bush is for me. Mm. Um, and you were mentioning that yeah, that you and um, your husband David were had a residence uh, recently mm. together and um, you must travel, obviously, travel together a lot. Yeah, we've travelled a lot. Um, and yeah. he happens to have a studio not far from your studio, a few yeah. metres away. Um, so what's it like um, working close to in close proximity to each other? Well, we actually operate quite independently in the day, probably less so now than we used to. For for quite a period, we would go right through the day and not see one another till we went in at night. <laughs> but we we have been making a point of stopping and having lunch together, and then we go through mm. till sometime between six and seven. Um, I think for me, um, living with another artist, I I want um, twice I live with people who weren't artists. Twice, no, once I live with someone who wasn't an artist, and I found it really, really difficult because you have to understand why an artist is the way they are why if they are driven they're driven and why if they're moody or they're having a bad time it's because usually they're having a bad time with the painting or mm. whatever um and you can't take that personally and it's so seeing another artist as a mirror of yourself in some ways is is very helpful and also you understand, you understand yeah. why they are feeling the way they are, yeah. why, you know. So I just think for me, it's it's been really fruitful having mm. a partnership, which is, you know, an artistic partnership. And also we have collaborated um, on um, woodblock prints um, oh, right. um, and lino cuts. Um, we d we've done it for several years. In fact, we're just talking that we really should get around to do another one just to keep it going. Um, but uh, And we've had shows of those. Yeah, um, yeah. Together, and know. another thing I wanted to ask you about was um, how you found balancing motherhood and your own art practice when you had, you know, had young a, children. Uh, I think um, when I had 
Corrie, I was uh, 41 when he was born, and with Clea, I was 19, and with Mina, I was 20, I think about 27. I was much younger, and I was really trying to, although I had a, you know, a really good start to my professional practice, I had to keep that going, and it, it was hard. It was really hard work, and I was trying to do a bit of teaching and you know, and just really maintain that practice and be, and I was very determined. And that's one thing, my personality has always been very determined. And so I think for those two girls, it was probably much harder for them because, you know, mother was somewhat distracted. Yeah, yeah. You know? I suppose you wouldn't be where you are now if you if you didn't have that determination though, so. Mm. Well, that's right. And I, I think um, I... You know, if you have a a partner who's supportive, it helps a lot, Mm, you mm. know. And I've been fortunate that I have had supportive partners. Um, But otherwise, I think it's it's a great difficulty. Um, And that's what we see at art school a lot of the time, is that a lot of those women, particularly mature-age students who come back, they struggle because they haven't got the support of partners or partners can't understand where they're going. Why have they suddenly gone off to go to art school, you know? And it's, yeah. it's, it is difficult. It's a big yeah. part of it, isn't it, having yeah. a supportive um, partner? Oh, program. incredibly yeah. much so, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for having me here Oh, no, at it's your been, home. I've enjoyed talking it's been great <laughs> oh it's been so interesting to hear about um your life and and how you got where you are and um good luck with all the work coming up thank you very much suzanne has shows in the pipeline with nicholas thompson gallery in melbourne and maitland regional art gallery and coffs harbour regional gallery in new south wales and i'll be letting you know about those on social media when they come up I'll also be putting up a video on YouTube in a couple of days of Suzanne in her studio, so just go to the Talking With Painters YouTube channel. You can also follow the show on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And thanks also to those who've gone to the trouble of putting a review and rating on iTunes. That really helps get the word out about the podcast. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. If you're not happy with something and someone else likes it, don't take any notice because it's the way you feel about your work and the way, not only the way the work looks, but the way you feel about your work. You know if your work's finished and you don't want to see it hanging on a a wall in an exhibition and go, God, I wish I'd moved that something or other. You know, like you've got to be true to yourself. Mm.